Anybody read the book, Moby Dick? Like when you were in high school, you have to read it three or four. Anybody see the movie? No? Okay. You know the story though, right? Story's about a guy named Captain Ahab. He is a, a, a whaler, which that, that whole concept blows me away. Like, because it's based, based in history. The story of Moby Dick is fiction, but it's based in history where, where people would go hunt whales like on small boats with harpoons. That's about the most redneck thing I've ever heard. Like, who thought that a whale, they went, let's go catch that. What are you going to get? Well, I got, I got a spear uh, <laughs> on a small boat. But that's, that's the gist of it, how they would go after whales for the blubber and all the things that that provided. And in the midst of the story, the, near the beginning, Captain Ahab gets in a confrontation with this large white whale and he loses a leg. And over time, anger and bitterness grow into this desire for revenge. And as the story goes on, he and his crew are out whaling. And in another way that I don't understand, he's, he sees the same white whale that got him before. Like in all of the Atlantic Ocean, there's that same whale again. And, and his, his, his need, his lust, his hatred for revenge spurs him on this three-day chase to get revenge and capture this whale that, that took his leg. His crew argues back, but he's so fixated on revenge that he ends up, and I'm going to go ahead and give you the this, this spoiler, uh, he ends up losing his crew and his life. And we think, we think that revenge, when somebody does us wrong, is going to make us feel better. And last week, we talked about injustice. You know, I don't know if you are here last week, we talked about how we have a sense of justice in us because we were created in the image of God and God's just. And so when something happens that is unjust, something is wrong, there's a part of us that wells up inside to make it right. Now, God gave us that for good reason. When, when we talk about issues like human trafficking and young children or women being enslaved today in 2018 and sold into the, the sex trade, the sex industry, that, that's unjust, and there ought to be a part of us that rises up and says, I, I want to do something about that. When we see stories of children around the world that are starving, we, we ought to have something inside of us that goes, I want to make a difference because the Spirit of God, we, we were created in His image, and so we see something that's unjust, and, and it, it, it should cause us to want to respond. But Satan perverts things all the time. I said that last week. And so somebody wrongs us, or if you're parent of a teenager, you, you've been drawn in probably to some teenage drama along the way where somebody hurt your child. It might have been uh, an adult. It might have been a, one of their friends. And, and we sense that, un, that uh, unjust act and something wells up inside of us and Satan perverts it to make us want to do something to get justice. But what he tries to convince us is that if we get revenge, if we go and, and trade a wrong for a wrong, that we'll feel better about it. And the media, like television and movies, it actually fuels that fire. Like think through, you don't, have to, you don't have to answer out loud, just think through for a second. If you watch television or movies, if you've gone to, think through the last couple, and I, I bet there's a couple of shows that you might watch or movies you've seen that, that deals around the idea of revenge. I'm a sucker for superhero movies and superhero TV shows doesn't matter how bad they are. I'll go and see them because I grew up reading comic books and I love them. 
There, there is probably not one well-written show or good actors on the entire WB network, but the WB has The Flash, the, the superhero TV show, and it's got The Arrow, and then it's got a, a bunch of other like, shows for 14-year-old girls. And I, I watch Arrow, I watch Flash. Now, we can't talk about those shows right now because I'm a full season behind everybody else in America, but I just finished this, this weekend two season finales of both of those from weeks past, and both story arcs for the entire season were about two antagonists, two bad guys, and their desire for revenge. So the whole storyline is built around. We see it, I and mean, it, it makes good stories. Went to movies not too long ago. One of the last movies I saw was Death Wish, the remake, all about revenge. That, that's, the, that's the theme of the movie. If you think through things you watch, you'll probably see, isn't there like a TV show called Revenge? Like, yeah, all right. So that one's just, I haven't seen it, but I just assume that if that's the title, that's what it's about. And so, I mean, we're, we kind of get the story given to us over and over again that revenge will make us feel good. In fact, if you watch a movie or a TV show where the protagonist, where the good guy is trying to get revenge, like, like they'll go up and like shoot, at the end of the movie, shoot the bad guy in the head. And we'll be like, yes! You know, like, yeah, he murdered him. Woo! Because we're, we've been taught, like, through media, that that's going to make us feel better because justice was done. Do you know what research shows? The exact opposite. Now, we'll talk about Scripture in a second, but outside of the Bible, there's been a lot of psychological research done on the idea of revenge, and what all of the research shows is that revenge does not give you lasting satisfaction. It will give you a moment, a brief moment of pleasure, but it actually does the exact opposite. It creates cycles of, of uh, retaliation in your life. And, and what the psychologist said is people who are focused on revenge, they spend so much time dwelling on the wrong and they spend so much time dwelling on what I can do to get that other person back that they're actually more psychologically unhealthy than the person who just lets it go. Francis Bacon said this quote. Hit that up there for us. He said, a man that studieth revenge keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would heal. We've known it for a long, long time. The revenge doesn't help us emotionally. It also doesn't help us spiritually. And so God has a plan for revenge, and we find it in Romans chapter 12. If you'll go over there, we're going to start in verse 14. We're going to read a section. I'm going to read it all at once, and we'll come back and kind of walk through a couple of the verses together. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Paul says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So Paul, in this letter to the Romans, kind of gives these 
bullet points, bang, 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 uh, of some things that we can, we can, we can attack and, and these commands for us to live by. And so we're going to look back. I want you to, we're just going to walk through seven of them. Look at verse 14. He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. What Paul is saying to us, here, you ready to get uncomfortable? I think last week we talked about what it meant to love unconditionally your enemy. Remember we said it wasn't okay, like just to say, hey, I'll be cordial. I'll be nice. Here's my enemy over here. I'm going to avoid them because I want nothing to do with them. But if I see them, I I will smile. And and we check that off as loving our enemy. But that's not what love looks like. Well, he says here, he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. What, What Paul's instruction to us is this. You've got an enemy. You've got the person that you wrote on a sticky note last week that you've been praying for all week and you're going to continue to pray for through the series. Paul says, Here, here's what you've got to do. You've got to speak well of that person. That's hard. You remember what mama said, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Paul says, nope, not good enough. It's not about not saying something. Paul says you actually have to go on the offensive verbally and you have to bless or speak well. That word there is eulogio. It's the same word that we get a eulogy from. So if you imagine a eulogy, if you've gone to a funeral and the deceased is there in front of the congregation that's gathered for the funeral and someone gets up to speak a eulogy, what do they do? They spend time telling all of the great things, telling the story of the deceased to put everybody's heart at ease as they mourn. A eulogy is not where you get up and badmouth the person. That's not, I mean, it, it is, it's about the positive. And Paul says that our, our, our job, again, this is difficult, is to bless those who persecute you. So that coworker, a coworker who had a team and was working on something at the office that went south and it didn't go well, and, and you weren't even a part of the team, they had just asked you a question at one point and you responded. And then when their team went south, that guy that was your friend, maybe when I'm a close friend, but coworker that you thought was on your team, when their thing went south, he blamed you. And he said, well, our whole thing blew up. Well, we asked, we asked him, we asked her what to do and this is what they said and we did that and, and everything went south. We should have never asked. And now the boss is looking at you going, why did you say that? And you go, I, I, just, I just gave them a one-sentence answer. And all of a sudden, we're on the defensive, right? Now, our sin nature inside of us that has experienced injustice starts immediately thinking, what do I do to get that guy back, right? Well, if I'm going to get in trouble for sabotage and his team, I'll show him what sabotage really looks like. And Paul says, if you're going to follow Christ, your call is in front of everyone to speak well of that guy. Now, who feels uncomfortable, right? Like, again, we, we read through these passages of Scripture, and we go, oh, yeah, bless those who persecute you. Okay, yeah, I hate that guy. Blessings, okay, check. We, we, I don't even know what blessing means, but bless. Maybe, oh, I'm praying for those who persecute me, so Lord, bless them. What, what Paul's calling us to do is to do the counterculture, do the exact opposite of what our sin nature would do. And instead of looking for revenge, we start lifting that person up. And that is incredibly difficult. Look at verse 17. Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. Now, mama got this one right when she said two wrongs don't make a right. 
He says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. So when you read that word to, to uh, where did I lost it for a second? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought. Give thought means to consider in advance. So the, here's what happens, and we know this. When someone wrongs us, in the heat of the moment, if we make a decision, we're probably gonna make the wrong decision, right? We're much more likely to make the wrong decision like, right when it happens. That's why like, like with, when wisdom sets in your life and something goes wrong, if you're the wise person, you go, you know what? I'm going to sleep on this before I respond. I'm not going to send that email back right away. I'm going to let a couple other people read it and make sure that it, it is not inflammatory, but it's, it's a good response. Wisdom in our life gets us there. What Paul says, here's what wisdom looks like. You need to consider in advance what you're going to do before someone wrongs you. Now, that's difficult because like, we, don't, we don't know how they're going to wrong us, right? And, I don't think here Paul's intention is for us to gather in our small group and, and brainstorm a list of 150 ways someone might wrong us and let's get a, a response ready for each of it. And when it happens, we can pull it up and flip through Evernote and find it. Oh yeah, this is what I'm going to do. What Paul is saying is this, is Paul saying, hey, you, you need to realize and understand that if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to walk the path of a disciple, you are going to have bad things happen to you. For one, they're going to happen to you simply because you live in a broken world. But you're also going to have bad things happen to you, most likely because you're a follower of Christ. Certainly to the people, that, the, the Roman Christians that Paul was writing to here that lived in a pagan culture, and they were the minority, not the majority. He knew the bad things were going to happen. And so he says, hey, when it happens, you don't repay evil for evil. You need to be thinking now. You need to be planning in advance. What is my response going to be when I'm wronged. Difficult. Verse 18. He says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Y'all know who Dr. John Perkins is? Dr. Perkins was one of the great civil rights leaders of the 60s. We hear a lot about Martin Luther King Jr., but John Perkins worked with uh, Dr. King I think Dr. Perkins has like, like, I think it's 17 honorary doctorates. That's crazy. But that, that's how well-respected Dr. Perkins is. I had the opportunity three or four years ago uh, at, at a Catalyst conference to hear Dr. Perkins speak about some of his story and his life. He also co-wrote a book. Um, it was called Welcoming Justice. And the author that co-wrote the book for him was a white professor, and as they were getting ready to delve into writing the book, this white professor, professor Dr. Marsh, confessed to Dr. Perkins. He said, man, I, I'm going to be honest. This is somewhat difficult for me because my own grandmother, my own grandmother is a very strong racist. He said, my grandmother referred to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as, as a troublemaker. And he said, so Dr. Perkins, I, I feel, you know, just this, this tension and knowing that, that even in my own family, my own family hasn't walked through or even begin to try to recover correct and biblical race relationships and, to, and, to, and remove racism from our vocabulary and from our world. And Dr. Perkins' response to him, he said, does your grandmother have a garden? And he said, well, yes, sir, she does. He says, what does she grow? And Dr. Marsh was kind of confused by the question. He said, I, I, don't, under, I don't understand. He said, does she grow cucumbers? 
mint, tomatoes. He said, my garden has some incredible tomatoes. He said, what about blueberries? Does your grandmother love blueberries? Dr. Perkins started talking about blueberries and, and blueberry pie, putting blueberries on ice cream. And just in a natural conversation, he said to Dr. Marsh, headed to his house, he said, hey, when we get to our house, I've got some blueberries that I want you to deliver to your grandmother, and I want you to tell her that they're from me. And Dr. Marsh reflected back on that conversation over history, over his, over his personal history. And he said, there were, there were few things in my life that was ever spoken to me that made such an impact as our blueberry conversation. Because here's what... Here's what Dr. Perkins had internalized in his life. A guy who lived in a world where revenge would have made sense for him. A guy who had been abused, held back, mistreated, just because he was born with a different pigment in his skin. He understood this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So that snake, and talking about snakes is our series theme. And I said last week, if you weren't here, if you're going, I don't, I don't get it. A snake in the urban dictionary and teen lingo is somebody that is sincere. You think that they're sincere and has your best interest at heart, but later backstabs you. It's kind of where we're going. The type of person that you'd want to get revenge on. And Paul says, you've got to bless them. You've got to speak well of them. He says, you can't repay Evil for evil. You've got to think in advance. You've got to plan out how you're going to love people well. And he says, if you can by any means live at peace with the person who is the troublemaker, who is the, the person who's creating chaos in your life, you've got to figure out how to walk with them and live at peace with them. In verse 19, let's keep going. He says, beloved, never avenge yourself but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. See, and here's where we're going to move, and you're going to see this in a second. If you're walking out of here going, hey, what, what's the bottom line? What's the thing that I can say to my teenagers? What's the thing that, that I can write down this week that I can reflect back on over and over again? It's this, that revenge, the reality of revenge, is, it's your attempt or is an attempt to rewrite God's story for your life. That's what revenge is. It's an attempt to rewrite God's story for your life because here's what we find in verse 19. God's job description is to take care of injustice. God's got, the, God's got evil handled. Now, we may not see it right now because we're, we're living in the middle. We're, we're living after the cross, which we'll celebrate in the resurrection this coming week. We're living after that but we haven't gotten to the point where Jesus is going to come back and make everything right again. We're living in this middle, and so, so we still see evil. We still see injustice. And yes, while, while we need to go and do something as, as, as a part of the world, we'll see this in a second, part of our job description is to join the work of Jesus and what he's doing to make this broken world right. But as far as it comes to you and I, when, when we're looking for vengeance, we're not looking, there's a difference in looking for vengeance and looking for healing. There's a difference in revenge and trying to fix something that's broken by breaking something else. That, that makes no sense. That we have to understand that God has all of the heavy lifting on his job description. God is more just than you or I will ever be. And God has 
your best interest at heart. God wants you to experience life to the full, right? He doesn't want you to live an ordinary life. He wants you to live an extraordinary life. And that's found in walking with him and, and becoming more like Jesus every day, conforming our will to his. And so God says, you know what? I want you to focus on your discipleship. I want you to focus on the story that, that I'm writing for you. And your story is wrapped up into my story of, of bringing my kingdom here. But as far as revenge goes, as far as ultimate justice goes, I'll carry the heavy lifting. I'll take care of all of that. You can take it off of your plate. You can take it off of the things that you think that you need to do because I, God, have got a better plan for you. I've got better things for you to do with your life and your time than to figure out how to get someone back. Because ultimately, it's not going to do anything for you. I'll take care of justice. I'll take care of conviction. I'll take care, ultimately, of sin. But you've got a better plan. Your story is to connect with my story in focusing on loving others well and loving me. We say it this way, to love God, to love people, and help others do the same. That's your story. Revenge doesn't, doesn't have, a, have any part of that story. He gives us our job description in verse 20. It says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, think about it, if your enemy is hungry, the person that has wronged you has physical need, most of us go, yes. And here's what we think. That's got to be God's justice. Maybe. But here's what God says. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now here, here in the economy of God, this is, this is brilliant. You know, we said vengeance, psychologically, vengeance does at the onset, when it first happens, it, it makes you happy. It just doesn't last long. You actually have an opportunity to get a little bit of that feeling when you follow the Lord. Because here's what he says. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Not literally. But what God's saying is, listen, when, when that person wrongs you and, and, and everybody in the world says that you need to go do something to get them back, when you feed them and you give them drink, when you meet their needs, when you love them well, what's going to happen in their life is they are so totally expecting vengeance to come. They're so expecting the wrath of another person that when they know that they hung you out to dry and the next thing that they see is you loving them well, the guilt that falls on that person is like burning coals on their head. That they go, all of a sudden they're like, why did, why did I do this to them? They are so kind. I feel so bad that I, that I threw them under the bus. And you get a little bit of sense of maybe what you're hoping for. But you do it by loving them well. And in verse 21, Paul closes the idea. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what we're called to do. Not to get caught up in the revenge cycle, but, but to bring the kingdom of God here. Your kingdom come, your will be done, Jesus prayed, on earth as it is in heaven. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what we're doing. 
We're overcoming evil in this world with good. So we don't have any business trying to put evil back on top of evil. You see the, the, the disconnect there? We've got a better story. We've got a story that, 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 that is about love. We've got a story that changes the world, that changes our families, that changes our church, that changes our neighborhoods because it's so counterculture to what everybody else is doing as we engage with the work of God and what he's doing to overcome evil with good. So what do we do? Last week, I asked you to take that sticky note. If you weren't here last week, I'm going to give you the catch-up. You get, if you weren't here last week, you get double homework, okay? That's just the way it works. If you come every week, you only get one piece of homework per week. But if you miss a week, you've got to do last week's and this week's. Last week's homework passed out some sticky notes. I don't have them for you. You have to figure something out, but you're grown adults. Um, put a sticky note on a Bible, on a mirror, on a clock, somewhere, with a name or initial of somebody that when we talk about an enemy, somebody that's wronged us, somebody that's been a snake in our life, somebody that we thought was on the team but wasn't. And we said, hey, for the, for the rest of this series, the next four weeks, we're going to pray diligently for that person. Okay? Here, here's step two. Here's what we do this week. We, guys, I'm telling you, we, we do not want to have a discipleship. You don't and I don't. That we come to church, that we engage with the Word of God, and we go, oh, I read it. I, I feel good. Or maybe in this instance, I don't feel so good. And I close up my Bible and I go back to routine. We, if we're going to follow Jesus, following means taking steps. So that person that you've got that name on this week, you start praying, the Holy Spirit, tell me how, Lord, give me an idea of how I can minister and meet the need of the person that's wronged me. So I said it this way. Do something that's an act of goodwill towards a person that's been a snake to you. Now listen, here, here's the temptation. The temptation is this. Well, I'm still praying. I'm, still, I'm, I'm not ready for this. You may not be ready for it. And that's why you need to do it. As we're praying for that person, what is, how are we going to bless that person? Hey, it may be as easy as this. It may be taking verse 14 and doing it. It may be just getting in your mind what you're going to say publicly to other people, that person that you've been in conflict with that's wronged you, that you're going to say publicly. <laughs> it sounds like, like what my wife says to my kids. You're going to say three or four nice things about that person. You're ready to go. That may be what you need to do. Maybe in your small group in a second, you brainstorm some ways, that, something that you can tangibly do for goodwill to bless the person that's on that list or on your sheet. Listen, please, 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 don't think, don't think that you're going to grow with Christ if you don't do what he says. Here's the second thing. We need to start planning in advance what you're going to say and do the next time someone's wronged you. So the scripture says, consider in advance. So that, that, that is an, an additional assignment. You're still praying for that person that's on your Bible or someplace. This week, you're going to figure out a way to bless them. You're going to figure out a way to be counterculture. You're going to figure out a way to kill the flesh that's yours to let the spirit live. And then we need to start thinking, what am I going to do if? If you don't have the yap on your phone, that doesn't mean anything to you. Your small group can kind of explain it to you here in a second when we break up. I can. 
We've got an app on your phone. It's called the YAP, the Y-A-P-P. I, I'm going to tell you this. I, I get parents all the time that come up and they go, hey, what's the uh, code for this? And we've got small group questions. They'll be listed as April 1st for us because we're, we're a week ahead of teenagers. And it's got small, the questions that, that somebody in your group is about to read through. And I get lots of parents asking me, hey, what's the code for that? Quite honestly, you don't even need that. I mean, I give it out because I know some people want to read the questions with them. But, but really, somebody's got it already in your group and they're going to read it. What you need is the code word for the parent one. And that code word's parents. And, and every week, you get them both, you'll have that little yap on your phone and inside you'll have one that says ministers and one that says parents. If you're a parent of a teenager, there's three or four questions in there every week that are meant to give you something to talk about, a spiritual conversation about the topic that we're having today that your kids are going to have on Wednesday night when they hear the same message that they're going to be discussing down the hallway well, they, normally next Sunday. Next Sunday's Easter, no life groups. But that would normally be the plan for a week in our homes and at church. We're going to talk about the idea that revenge is an attempt to rewrite God's story in your life. We're giving you questions to help there. One of the things that are in there this week was for you to, if you have a teenager, to have a teenager just come up with a scenario in which a parent might experience being wronged and you create a scenario in which a teenager might be wrong, and then talk about what, what would we do if and when that happened. So you start thinking, how do I respond? If you're in our nesters group and you don't have teenagers at home, I mean, that might even be something that you do if, with older kids that are in college or grown adults if a conversation comes up this week. But if nothing else, for us as believers, take three or four minutes this week to think through what would I do if, how would I respond if? because we need to consider in advance. Victoria Ruvolo is a 45-year-old woman was hospitalized about 13, 14 years ago when she was driving in New York to her niece's recital. And five teenagers were out joyriding in a car. They had a stolen credit card, and they went and bought several things on a stolen credit card. One of the things they bought, and God only knows why, was a frozen turkey. And they thought it would be funny to see what would happen if they threw that frozen turkey out the car window. And it hit the ground and bounced up and went through the windshield of Victoria Ravolo's car that she was driving. Bent the steering wheel, hit her in the face. Luckily, the guy she was driving with was able to get her foot off the gas and the brake and, and, and bring the car to rest. She was in a coma. I think it was for 10 days. Went through a lot of facial reconstruction surgery. When she went home, she had a trach tube put in her throat so that she could breathe and had to do months of rehab. The 19-year-old kid that threw the turkey out was arrested. And by the time his court hearing and all of that came to be, she was actually recovered enough to go. And she went to his court hearing, and here's what she told him. Hit that, because I, I didn't want to try to tell it. She said, despite all the fear and pain I've learned from this horrific experience, and I have much to be thankful for. Each day when I wake up, I thank God simply because I'm alive. I sincerely hope you have also learned from this awful experience, Ryan. There is no room for vengeance in my life. And I do not believe a long, hard prison term would do you, me, or society any good. She actually lobbied for him. He was supposed to get 25 years in prison. 
And because of her testimony and what she asked the courts, he ended up getting six months in jail. And she said this, I truly hope that by demonstrating compassion and leniency, I have encouraged you to seek an honorable life. If my generosity will help you mature into a responsible, honest man whose graciousness is a source of pride to your loved ones in your community, then I will be truly gratified. And my suffering will not have been in vain. Ryan proved me right. That's Romans 12, 14 through 21 in a nutshell. A woman who had every right to seek vengeance. A courtroom who honestly was aghast when the sentence came down that he got six months. Because they sensed in them that's unjust. She said, there's, there's a better way than vengeance. This, this could be used of God to do great things. I'm talking about snakes, people who've wronged us. Last week, we, realized, we, we learned we've got to love them, those enemies, and pray for them. And now we've got some more tangible steps this week to help transform us into a community that actually looks different. I'm going to close with this. You know why, one of the major reasons why people don't come to church? I mean, there's been lots of research done, and there, there's lots of reasons why. But one of the main reasons why all of our coworkers and our neighbors and maybe even our family members, possibly your teenagers, don't have an engagement with Christ, which isn't always the case. But one of the major reasons is people say they don't look any different than me. They go, to, they go to work with us and we talk the same way they talk. We do the same things they do. We make the same decisions they make. I can't tell you the numbers of teenagers that I know that, that they're in this tension of trying to figure out what does it mean to walk with Christ because I, I look at my parents who say they're believers and I, I don't see a whole lot of difference. That, that's, that's reality. And this, friends, is an opportunity for us to learn how to be counterculture Christ-following disciples that looks radically different than the world, that makes people look at us and go, you know what, whether I believe in Jesus or not, I can say that those people who do live different.